Yes. Anybody get caught in the rain uh, in the last couple of days running? Okay. A few of you. I, I passed this one guy. And you know how in Colorado it can just be like a downpour, like for, you know, 30 seconds. And it just went, bam, my windshield wipers are on full speed. He's just running along. <laughs> Didn't bother him a bit. I don't know. But anyway, it is great to see you. Hope you're enjoying the change in the weather and the rain and all this good stuff. We need it and we love it. And uh, God bless you for being here. Thank you so much. We, we are in a series called Run. And it's been really fun to see all the places in the Bible where people are running. And they're usually running to something or from something or somebody. And today we have a kind of a special story that has been around a really long time. And I've been familiar with this story because I grew up in church. If you grew up in church, you've heard about the story in the life of Joseph, right? No doubt. Well, I have called this today, Run from Potiphar's Wife. If you know the story of Joseph, you know that a lot of things happened to him. A lot of injustices happened to him, things he didn't deserve. It was out of his control, much like many of you today who are in a situation where you're going, how did I end up in this kind of a dilemma? I, I want to just say on the outset that, that this message is about sexuality. It is about Potiphar's wife, who was very sensual, which I'll tell you a little bit about her in a bit. And she wanted Joseph. She wanted to sleep with Joseph. And, and he's resisting that temptation. But I also want to say that if sexual temptation is not at the front of what sort of gets a hook in you, then I want you to be able to, to name what Potiphar's wife is for you. Her, her, she's actually not named in the Bible, so you can name her whatever you want. It might not be sexual sin. It might be greed. It, it might be jealousy or insecurity that, that Satan uses to kind of get a hook in you and pull you away from your purpose in life and from knowing and, and serving God. And so there are all these possibilities. But one thing is for certain, sexuality is a big part of this story. Now, if you're not familiar with Joseph at all, then, then we need to talk a little bit about that because this really plays into the story later on. So Joseph is favored. His I don't get favoritism. God is not someone who has favorites in the classic sense of the way we might have favorites. He loves us all equally. We are all valued equally in the kingdom of God. But there's several times in the Bible when certain people have what is called the favor of the Lord or the blessing of the Lord. Joseph is one of those guys. And David is another one. Nehemiah is another one. They're just favored by God and good things happen and they prosper. And, and it's crazy. But Joseph is one of those people. So he's growing up as a teenager in a, a large household with a lot of brothers. And he starts having these dreams. And when he tells the dreams, they take it as you're an egomaniac, you want to have control over us because the dreams shows him as a leader. So basically his brothers trap him, throw him in a pit, and they sell him as a slave um, to the people of Ishmael. And so at 17 years old, if you can imagine this, this kid is 17 and a guy named Potiphar buys him. Potiphar works directly for the Pharaoh of Egypt. He is wealthy. He's the leader of, a, of, of uh, the warriors. And he has a wife who is very seductive. 
And a lot of things happened between her and Joseph that, that we're going to talk about today. But here's the deal you need to know. Shortly after he came into Potiphar's house, we know that he became second in command under Pharaoh 13 years later when he was 30 years old. So those 13 years between 17 sold as a slave, 30 moving to the Pharaoh's household, that's when this story happened in those 13 years. Scholars don't understand if he, if he served in Potiphar's house for five years and then he was in prison for eight or if he served for eight, was in prison for five. Most believe he served for three to four years max in Potiphar's household and then spent up to 10 years in prison for something he didn't even do. So keep that in mind as we walk through the story. He died at 110 years old, so he had an amazing long life. Number one in your outline is uh, Joseph lives with blessing. I mentioned this idea of the favor of God was, was on him. Now, by the way, I just need to say this because I've been struggling in my brain all weekend. Even talking to Bonnie this week, I kept saying David. And I was telling her like a couple points now and say, when David, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you mean Joseph? And I'm like, yes, Joseph. What did I say? You said David. So if I say David at any point, I mean Joseph. <laughs> I'm just going to get that out there. So number one. So David has this blessing in his life. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Joseph, 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 Joseph. So Joseph lives with blessing. In, in, this whole story happens in Genesis 39. Go there with me and follow along if you want to in your Bible. You can just leave it open. We're going to go verse by verse. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was a captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. There it is. Just a random statement out of the blue. The Lord was with Joseph. So... Because of that, he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this, and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, of course. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. You get that? Potiphar's not even a believer in any of this. But he is benefiting the blessing of the Lord because of who Joseph is in this story. All his household affairs ran smoothly. His crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing. And then there's one exception, except what kind of food to eat. You know, food matters in your life, right? So you've got to hold that to yourself. This is exactly what should happen if you're Joseph. You have this injustice. You're 17 years old. You're trying to honor God. Your brothers sell you as a slave. And God raises you up and puts you in this mansion with these rich people. And you start to have the blessing of God in your life. Everything you touch turns to gold. Everybody likes you. Suddenly you're in command of the whole household. This is what Christianity is all about. <laughs> prosper, prosper, prosper. You know, health, money, everything's good. Never a problem, never a trial, never tested. This is, this is what so many pastors preach. Unfortunately, there's more to the story to Joseph than just that. So hang on. He has real life problems too. Aren't you glad? No, I don't mean that bad. But man, Christianity has, it's filled with challenges. You know, Jesus said in this life, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have issues. And so 
Hang on. It gets even better. Number two, you're going to love this. Joseph is attractive. This is crazy. It, the, the, the last part of verse 6, literally, it says, Joseph was very handsome and he was a very well-built young man. It's so rare in Hebrew in the Old Testament that any physical traits are, are talked about in Scripture. And I want to tell you, you know, I know you might think someone's attractive, but if the Bible says you're gorgeous and you have a great body, wow. Wow. That, that trumps everything, okay? So here's this lucky young man with this great body and wonderful, the Hebrew says, easy on the eyes, He's attractive. I, I think about attraction, and I know it's personal. We're all attracted to someone for different reasons. But one thing for sure, Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph. Not just attraction, but lust. Real lust. Controlling, empowered lust. And, and you're going to see that. As a matter of fact, Potiphar's wife is, the Torah kind of names her, um, not the Torah, but some Egyptian writings, and I won't say the name because scholars disagree on this, but there's some indication. One of the historians, H.B. Morton, kind of sketches Potiphar's wife, and he says this about her. This will tell you a lot about her. She occupies a prominent place as the first sensualist in the gallery of scriptural women. The sins against morality committed by women up to this point in scripture they all sort of have to do with the dynasty of a bloodline or due to customs of the time. Some women had to do some kind of terrible things, but, but there was never this kind of immoral story like this particular woman. She had lust for Joseph, and this is a picture, I quote this, of a woman who is spoiled, rich, and beautiful, the product of a luxurious and licentious civilization. There are, you know, when you research messages, you, you read through all these documents, and some of these historical documents talk about Potiphar's wealth, but a lot about the lust and the pagan rituals that were going on at this time in Egypt in this culture. Horrible. I wouldn't even, it would not even be appropriate for me to say what some of those rituals were in a setting like this. But Potiphar's wife is used to getting whatever she wants. Just a side note, some scholars say that Potiphar may have been a eunuch, and had no interest in sexuality, and she was granted permission to sleep with whoever she wanted to. It was that kind of a culture, a lot of perversion, a lot of weird stuff going on. So keep that in mind as we walk through the story. Number three, Joseph faces temptation. Now, it, it's this part of the message that I think is the heart and soul of, of what I want to talk about today, is what do you do with temptation? Is it a sin to be tempted? No, we're all tempted. Jesus was tempted. So there's no sin involved when it relates to temptation. We're all going to face temptation. So it matters what we do with temptation. It matters how we handle it, what we believe about it, what we think about it. So I have five things that are going to help you handle temptation. In our teaching team at Timberline Church, we always say, what can we say to help people on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday? How do we make this story, its historical details, apply for real life? Well, here we go. Here's five things. If you put on your dashboard, your refrigerator, it will help you if you do these five things. Me as well. Number one, how should we handle temptation? First of all, expect it. Just expect it every single day that you're going to be tempted to do something, to go out of bounds, 
to struggle with something that, that you shouldn't really either see or be a part of or enjoy. It's just part of the culture we live in. God's not out to make us hate life and take away all the fun, but temptation is real. It's, and when we, when we buy into it, it separates us from God. So look at this. This is crazy. Verse 7. Potiphar's wife soon began to look at Joseph lustfully. This is a, a Hebrew phrase that means from head to toe, back down, basically undressing him in, in her mind. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. That, that term sleep with me is, is Hebrew, which means it's, a, it's a, a strike word like lie with me. It's not I love you, you're so sweet. This is a very naughty, nasty word that just says, come and, and lie with me. And so she's aggressive, and she's basically coming after him. Um, Joseph knew pretty quickly that he probably needed to run away from this. When temptation is this blunt, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? I wish all temptation was this blunt. You know, guys, if, if I can just say, you know, if a beautiful naked woman shows up on your front doorstep, don't answer the door. <laughs> right? You know, if you look through the people, run away. You could discern in that moment. You could say, God, I discern that this could be a moment of temptation. So give me strength. No, you're probably going to obviously know moments like this, you need to get out of there and run away. Here's the deal. Most temptation and sexual sin has very little to do with in your face. It has to do with caring about somebody, emotionally becoming attached to somebody. It has to do with someone who treats you a little better than someone you're supposed to be with. They understand you more. Suddenly there's a connection. Suddenly there's they care. Suddenly there's these conversations. There's this confession of things that you don't have where you're supposed to get those sources. As singles in this room, man, guard your heart, your mind, your body, your soul. Satan wants to bring temptation into your life to trick you into messing up the future of your life. It's just true for all of us. Number two, use logic. You know, not only do we expect temptation, but use your brain and think about the what ifs if I did this. What are the consequences? What are the ramifications if I go through with this? Joseph did this right away. Matter of fact, he said it to Potiphar's wife. Listen to this, verse 8. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, which is kind of a sigh. It's like, okay, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? Joseph is trying to use logic, and I needed kind of an explanation for this. If, if he's a man of God with the favor of the Lord, why didn't he just say, no, absolutely not? How dare you tempt me? Well, because he's smarter. He's using logic because he knows her. He has seen her in action. And he knows that he better not offend her or cause her to hate him. He knows that if she feels personal rejection from him, then she is very capable of retaliation. So he's trying to be wise here and saying, look, you're a beautiful lady, but you understand what I've been given, and I just can't go down that road. Could you please understand and, and leave me alone? That's, that's his logic. And it's always good to try to have a logical response. Pastor Tim Heiss, who was our MC today, wonderful leader, amazing young man, he, he was telling us, we talked about this in chapel with our whole staff this weekend, I mean last Wednesday, and he said one of his 
toughest assignments in, in Bible college was one of his professors wrote down on a piece of paper multiple moral failures that ministers could have. And then he put them all in a jar and he went around the classroom and he made them all pull one out and they had to write like a resignation letter with an apology and an explanation of why they fell into this sin. Even though they didn't. And he said it was overwhelming to write the words of why I committed this sin and why I need to remove myself from ministry and to face all the family and friends and the people that he would have to read this letter to. Wow. You know, sometimes if we would think through that next step, what's it going to be like when I sit down and I tell the people who have loved me, who have believed in me, who have trusted me? You know, the, the New Testament has this scary verse that says, what's kept in private and secret will be shouted from the rooftops. <laughs> That's scary. So, so it's like the only way to keep that from happening is to confess it. So right now, just take a moment and say, forgive me for that, Lord. I never want that to be heard. <laughs> Number three, this is a challenge one, but it, it's real. It's in here. Recognize it as sin. You know, not all frustrations... Not all temptation necessarily lead to sin. You can be uh, sin. You can be angry without committing a sin. You can have confrontation. You can argue. You can have passion, and and it's not sinful. I'm talking about the lines in the Bible that talk about sin. This would be adultery for Potiphar's wife. It would be fornication for Joseph. He was single, and by the way, a slave had no right to ever get married. So just, just imagine, he's, he's in full drive, just being blunt, 17 years old, and, and he's having to restrain himself, even with this crazy opportunity in front of him. But he says, this would be, this is a quote, this would be a great sin against God. He knows it's a sin against Potiphar and Potiphar's wife and himself, but he's saying this is a sin against God. Joseph is calling it what it is. Now, I want to say something about this, and I don't want to offend you. That's not my goal. As a matter of fact, I'm telling you, I do not like evangelical pastors or, or evangelists who, like, ream people out for sin, or they're, they're bullies, and they take scripture, and they beat people up with it. I'm not that way. You know me. I hope you know me. I'm not that way. But I'm kind of fascinated and bugged by people who don't even want to use the word sin anymore. I, I actually have received emails that say you shouldn't say sin. It's it's, it's an ugly word. Well, yeah. <laughs> sin, sin, sin. <laughs> sin. Sin. There is such a thing as sin. Can we be in agreement? S some of you. <laughs> I'm not, I don't think that should be offensive. I think it should be the truth. And so having said that, he, he recognizes this is sin. And honestly, the only reason I'm saying that is because I love you. I believe in you. I don't want sin to take away your future. Sin will destroy your life. It will trap you. It will get a hook in you. It will jerk you away from everything God intended you to run for. And I'm tired of seeing that. And I want you to reach your greatest potential. And that's why, that's why we have stories like this. Joseph didn't have to run off in shame. You think of the Garden of Eden. Clear back in the beginning, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what happened? They felt shame. They were naked and they knew it. And what they do? They went and hid from God. 
Because I don't want you to hide from God. God is, is your maker. He believes in you. He created you. Don't go run off and hide from him. Confess that sin and run to him. Vulnerability is the only way out of this shame. Talking about it with someone, being honest about your struggles, but it's so difficult. No one knows. God knows. So he calls it sin. Number four, try to avoid places of temptation. And when I say places, I don't just mean, you know, a bar, a certain house, but, but other places, emotional places. Um, when is it that you are, are tempted? This is crazy what it says, verse 10. Get this. Potiphar's wife says she, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. This daily battle. But he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. Now, the downside of this story is that he had responsibilities in that palace for Potiphar that he had to do. So he couldn't just say, I'm never going back in that house. Everybody get that? So what it's saying is that he's peeking in a room going, is she in there? <laughs> no? Okay, I'll go take care of business in there. If she's in there, I'll come back later. She, he's doing everything he can to avoid. What a picture. What a picture this is for us to try to avoid those moments in our life. There's going to be temptation, but what can I do to avoid those places where I know I'm weak, where I know I've failed before? How can I build safeguards into my life? Joseph did a great job with this. Let's learn from him. And the last thing of how, how to, you know, avoid temptation or at least win when you're tempted is number five, be ready to run. Be ready to run. This, this story made the series because of this verse. One day, however, verse 11, no one else was around when he went to do his work. And she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come, here it is again, sleep with me, lie with me. Joseph tore himself away. But he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. So there's this image of her coming up, probably behind him, grabbing him, and he slips his arm out. This would be the outer garment. He probably had his underwear on under that. He pulls an arm out and just slips out the next sleeve and takes off running out of the house. He wants nothing to do with this. You know, if I had a number six in here, I would say this. Take your cloak with you. <laughs> Very important. Go back and get it if you have to wrestle it away from somebody. Get your cloak. This is what, this is what trapped him. Now, now she really had him. This is all he could do. Um, this is a picture of the enemy finding a way to put you in a situation you really don't even want to be in. And that's going to happen. And that's why we need to, you know, button down the hatches and pay attention to what's around us so that I can see it before it's coming. Be wise. So Joseph is falsely accused, number four. I don't like this part of the story. I just, I know it's supposed to be in the Bible. I know we're supposed to learn from it, but in all honesty, this is really tough. Verse 13, when she saw that she was holding on to his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants, which would also be guards, Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave. By the way, I don't have time to develop this, but this is a slam of her priority over him and how she was so demanding and demeaning to him. Uh, and now she's blaming her husband and calling him a Hebrew slave, which would be a real slap in the face for those Ishmaelites, to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me. 
But I screamed, oh, don't, aren't you just mad? This is like a movie. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and he got away and he left his cloak behind with me. She kept his cloak until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew, there it is again, that Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard the wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Ugh. <laughs> I just don't like it. I liked it better when he was prospering and everything he touched was great and there was great health and everybody loved him. Ugh. Now he's in jail. And he's, he's done nothing wrong. Injustice is one of the biggest grievances in my emotional spirit. And, and when you can't do anything about it, you know, if someone ever said something about you that was just so not true and you just live your life trying to fix it and trying to explain and trying to, you know, put people in right. Joseph had no ability or way to do any of this. This was, this was big time. It's not fair. It's not fair. And I'm reminded of, of stuff like this. When, when God was with Joseph, even in the pit when he was sold as a slave, was God with him? Well, the Bible says that he was, so I guess I can trust that. Was he with him in Potiphar's household? Yeah, the Bible says he was. <laughs> Look at number five. Here we go again. The Lord is with us even in prison. The Lord is with us even in prison. Your prison, my prison, whatever that prison is. He's with us. And here's the verse. Now, this is going to remind you of where we started. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Well, thank you, God. <laughs> right? Oh, man, he likes me. I'm still in prison. I can understand if this was, you know, a few com community service hours. A lighter sentence, Joseph gets to get out of there and get on with his life, but he's there for years. Years. <sighs> was God there? Yeah, he was. Is God with you right now in the midst of your trial, your injustice, your pain, your hurt, your questioning if God's even real? He's there. He has a picture we don't see, and you've got to know that today. You've got to know it. We're not in heaven. Then he starts interpreting dreams. And the wardens can't believe that this guy is blessed and favored by God. And he, he interprets them right. And word gets out. And guess who has some troubling dreams that need, need interpreting? The Pharaoh of Egypt. And the Pharaoh of Egypt. This is the king. This is no one touches him. He says, you're dead, you're dead. He calls for Joseph. He hears about him. Joseph comes to the palace interprets the dreams correctly. And, and, and you know what? The Pharaoh says, you will now be second in command to me over all of Egypt. And Joseph's going, nice. <laughs> wow, this works out. One of his first acts, if you read the next chapter, as second in command is to summon Potiphar's wife and have her hanged on the gallows. Not really. Just kidding. That would be me or you. 
<laughs> that would be us. That would be the human retaliation that we all so long for. There's nothing ever listed that he does anything to Potiphar or his household or his wife. I think it's kind of like this. Joseph said, God, I'll put retaliation in your hands because I trust you and I want to move forward. And I'm telling you, picking up the back stuff in your life and living it every day will just keep you from ever taking another step into your future. Joseph had an amazing future because he didn't go after vengeance. That's why the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. If we can trust him with that, life can be good. He didn't say, now is my chance to deal with that witch. He just lived his life and kept doing what God asked him to do. 1 Peter 3.17. 1 Peter 3.17. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And many have suffered for doing good. Three questions. I'm just, this is really quick, so just jot them down. Number one, where am I most vulnerable? If, if you want to win when you're tempted, you've got to get these right. Examine your life. Where in my life, mind, body, soul, I need to be aware of the places where I'm tempted most. And maybe you can't go out with that crowd. Maybe you have to pull back. Number two, when am I most vulnerable? When am I most vulnerable? And, and for many of us, I'm just going to throw out some ideas, but I want you to come up with your own list. Is it when you travel? Is it when you're alone? Is it when you kind of feel depressed? Is it when you drink? Is it when you party? Is it when you uh, get a rejection letter or someone no longer likes you on Facebook? Is it when someone hurts you emotionally and you want to hurt them back? Just be honest with yourself. When are you susceptible? When are you vulnerable to making bad decisions? If you can know that, you can win. And the last one is how determined am I to run? I can't put willpower in you. I wish we could just download it in our brains to say, okay, now I have stronger willpower. Now I'm, I'm gonna beat this thing. I am determined. It's not gonna take me out. I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. That's not how it works. Willpower comes through one little decision after another little decision, one little win after another little win until I have built a mountain of wins behind me. And then it becomes a fortress in my life. And my, my brain and my mind and my heart are sealed by the presence of God. And God gives me strength. I love that, that letter to Corinth when Paul, and I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that says, when you're tempted, God will provide a way to escape. you got to believe that. There is a way out. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can trust you. Thank you for these wonderful people who have heart and passion to follow you. Lord, for... For your word today, which goes into our heart, we need your help and strength. If you're trapped in sin, acknowledge it. Don't deny it. Be vulnerable. Offer it to God. Just right now. Just right now. I don't even want you to raise your hand. Just say, Lord, you know my deal. And, and I've tried this before, and I've struggled, but today... I just want to take a baby step, a little step to let you know that I know I'm, I'm going to keep moving forward. And when you fail, keep acknowledging it. 
find someone. Maybe you say, I don't have anyone I can talk to about this. Well, let's start with that. Lord, who are you going to put in my life? Who, who can I trust with this information that no one knows about? Why? Because God wants you spared of the pain. God wants you to walk in his plan and his purpose. He has a great life ahead for you. I mean that. He does. Secondly, how many of you would just, you don't have to raise your hand, but in your mind you're saying, man, I want to get even with that person. I just wish they would die. <laughs> or not die, just get sick. Or, you know, feel the pain. I They've, they've caused you pain. And it, it hurts. And, and sometimes daily you find yourself, your brain just goes to that and it just wars against you. And I don't know that we're humanly capable of ever forgetting it like God can, but, but you can win in the battle of your mind as to not let it control you. And I just want to pray over some of you right now that have this going on, to let it go and let God take care of retaliation. Lord, we lay these things in your hands because I can't fix it. We can't fix it. We, we don't even know what to do. We just know there's an injustice here that you care about because you're a God who hates injustice. Use it to our benefit to take us through the stuff you're calling us to go through. Lord, we need to trust you with this situation. Some of you right now, again, put it in his hands and trust him. Lord, we offer our lives afresh to you. Anyone who's separated from God today, just pray it right now. Jesus, I confess my sins. I believe you died on that cross and rose from the dead. I give you my future. And walk out of here with a new heart. We believe in that at Timberline. We believe in transformation and change. It's a good thing. God is able. And everyone said, amen.